Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the PaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hello. Womp womp. There's no lizard on my shoulder. Oh, that was my first question. Is there a lizard? She got a little antsy last week because I'm super animated when I talk. And like with the heavy chest breathing and hand movements, it was a bit much. So I figured... She was like, this is not the cuddling I'm used to. Yeah, exactly. She was like, this is not the television watching that I enjoy. So... I I gave her There's no a night zombies. Off. <laughs> <laughs> uh hey, so I have to tell you something. Yeah. I, I accidentally wrote another book while I'm working on my book. What? <laughs> what even does that mean? <laughs> I accidentally wrote a book. I know. I'm so bad at working on one book at once, I think is what it is. So um, I haven't talked about this very much, but I am in the middle of a full ground up redesign of my website. And the new version is going to launch in a month and a half to two months. And so there's a lot of changes happening behind the scenes right now. Um, And so one of the things that I've been doing over the last... I mean, gosh, like this project started in April. Okay. So it's, it's been a it's mammoth undertaking. And, um, one of the things that I've been doing is thinking about my site from the perspective of somebody new to the paleo diet and the paleo lifestyle and looking for that, um, information that's rooted in contemporary science, um, behind the, various tenets of paleo. And so looking for, you know, like the recipes and the practical information, but really looking for like, what is paleo and why from, you know, this, that perspective that I take, right? So what does, you know, what does the science say? And so I started looking at my old posts from, you know, nearly five years ago, sort of the basic, you know, tenets of paleo, and then looking at um, how those differ in terms of detail and rigor compared to the way I write science posts now. So I started going through a lot of my older posts and rewriting them and updating them. And then I started looking at, okay, so like, what are the missing pieces? Like, what have I not written about yet? So I've been doing a lot of posts over the last few months and have quite a few more planned that are filling in a lot of the gaps. Like, how come I never talked about food dyes? Like, to me, that's a pretty important part of a you know paleo elimination like that that information should be on my site somewhere so i am so as i've been looking at um this sort of website overhaul from the you know wanting to make it this very complete resource for somebody new to the community um i started thinking like well i i need some either some way of like directing somebody through the flow of, you know, why nutrient density is important, why probiotic foods is important, why sleep and stress management activity are important, and then why would you not eat grains and why would you not eat legumes and what is the deal with dairy and and trying to think of like how that flow would go. So thinking about somebody coming, okay, someone new coming to the site, they're interested in paleo, they're going to, how am I going to direct them through the site? So then I started realizing that Probably the easiest way to achieve this was to create an ebook that's basically, you know, the science behind the paleo template. So I tasked one of my assistants with like, I'm like, can you just go through all of the science posts that I've written about paleo and kind of just stick them together in a document for me? And, you know, I'll fix the flow later. And then also, can you keep an eye out for anything that we've missed, right? Like anything, any, any topics that I need to 
address that I haven't gotten to yet. So when she gave me that file, I was like, oh, oh, this is this is a lot. This is uh, <laughs> this is this is you're not short winded, Sarah. Like how how mm-hmm. many words was it? Hundred and ten thousand. Yeah, that's a lot for just the diet stuff and not the lifestyle stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I realized that just talking about diet without lifestyle, which needs to be in there, and without recipes, which needs to be in there, I already had a book that was longer than Practical Paleo. At least the first version is probably comparable to the new and expanded one. Um, and so I was like, all right. Um, I happen to have two signed contracts with my publisher, um, one for the book that I have been working on all year um, that is a beast uh, and is still only no, probably 40% done. Uh, so I called my publisher. I was like, hey, so you know how I have two contracts? Um, if you want, you could have the other book in like a month. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of refining and editing and making sure that there's flow. Um, and I've got a lot of recipe formatting and I'm now in that, like, well, I want some new recipes for this book. So I've got a, I've got my little list of like things to work on. And, uh, they've been so excited because there really isn't a book yet that explains paleo from this contemporary science perspective, unless you count the paleo approach, which is really specific to immune system function. Um, but this book is going to be, you know, a general paleo book, but really from um, understanding uh, better food choices and better lifestyle choices from a physiology, biochemistry, cell biology perspective. And, and, um, and there's so much, science to support this way of of eating and this way of living um that is really compelling you know understanding what's happening to hormones and neurotransmitters and organ function and the immune system and gut health and all of those things you can create a really complex um a, a picture about you know what are the optimal choices that looks exactly like paleo from this whole other you know, coming at it from the other direction, basically, and using quite different fields of science to, to talk about this framework. Um, and I think that the ch- things that I'm seeing happening in the community right now and the things that I'm seeing in terms of, um, uh, like, the infighting that happens over, like, potatoes, green beans, peas, dairy, <laughs> salt, right, all those types of things, that type of – those types of carbs <laughs> – saturated fat right those though that type of um the the it stopped being really a conversation and it started being um very passionate people who are not listening to each other and just shouting at each other and um and so between that and then also the media critiques of paleo that really don't understand it um or are a critique that really comes from the valid critique if the only rationale for paleo was the paleoanthropological record. Um, so it's sort of a valid critique based on the way we explain paleo now. Um, but if you talk about it in this um, more contemporary science perspective, suddenly the co- whole conversation changes. And so, you know, what I really want to do with this book is like lay down the scientific foundation for paleo from a contemporary perspective and not from a historical reenactment perspective um, and give people the information, you know, first of all, it's the information that they need to really understand their choices um, by way of motivating, um, you know, those choices. So I'm a person who, if I really understand why A is better than B, I am much more likely to choose A. Um, and then it's also giving people the information they need to have the conversation with their friend or family member who's just not buying in or has read some kind of newspaper article and is being really aggressive about that person's food choices. We all have somebody in our lives who's like trying to tell us how crazy we are for eating nutrient dense foods and, 
an omnivorous diet with high quality meats and lots of vegetables, right? Like we've got, there's, and we've always got somebody who's, who's decided it's their job to point out how crazy we are. So this is the book that I'm hoping will be that scientific foundation. And then also um, really like, distills it back down to practical resources. So it's like, here's the science and here's what's actionable. Here's the science and here's your food list. Here's your science and this is what you're going to, here's, here's your easy food swap or this is what you're going to keep in your pantry. You know, here's your science and, you know, like, so it's going to hopefully meld those two worlds of um, the scientific rationale, but also like, what does this actually mean, right? Because that's always the question <laughs> for my science posts, right? Someone's like, reads all, you know, 5,000 words of science, and they're like, and where's my take-home message? So it's a very take-home message-focused book. Um, and then I just told my publisher we'd figure out a way of formatting it so that we could fit in a bunch of recipes, too, because uh, I wanted to do that. So um, I don't I – don't, it's not, like, available for pre-order yet. It's not – there's – it's still in the, I'm still pulling together all of the stuff. We're pulling stuff for the marketing team. We're pulling together a, a cover. Um, so I think I'll have a much better idea of exactly all the things that are going down in about a month. Um, but uh, it's tentatively scheduled for a May release. And, uh, you know, because I, I went to my publisher with the book mostly written. Um, it's It's, it's kind of a, it was sort of like, yeah, it just accidentally, accidentally happened. That's, I'm still writing the other book, but it'll be now like fall 2017 instead of summer. I think A, um, you're insane. Uh, yeah. But B, that is something I really look forward to reading and sharing with people as a resource because I know that um, from medical professionals to dietitians to the everyday person who is just looking for that, like you said, why? Um, the paleo approach is thick and overwhelming for a lot of people, especially if they don't have an autoimmune disease, right? So being able to kind of have a similar resource, but for a general approach sounds fantastic. I'm going to pull, I'm pulling back on the level of scientific detail a little bit compared to the paleo approach, just so that I can fit everything into one book because um, I really want it to be a one-stop shop and an all-in-one like I you know you want to go paleo here's all the information plus lots of practical resources and recipes um, but um, but yeah I'm I'm also one of the things that I really want to do with this book is really talk about where the science is not cut and dry because there's a lot of foods that are not paleo, but could be, um, you know, there's, there's not a, there's an argument against them, but there's some nutritive value. The argument's not super strong. Some people might tolerate it. Um, you know, things like high quality grass fed dairy. Um, if it's tolerated, that's a health promoting food. Um, white rice, if it's tolerated, it's a, you know, it's not super nutrient dense, but it's, you know, a, a, good source of slow burning carbohydrates that's really inexpensive. And that's something that can make a big difference for people. Um, and on the uh, sort of flip side of that coin, there's foods that are considered paleo that you can still make a pretty strong argument against like tomatoes, which are, you know, yes, a very nutrient dense food, but also contain some very inflammatory compounds in them. So, um, so what I really want to be able to do is sort of lay down uh, this, the pros and cons of these gray area foods, um, ones that have traditionally been considered paleo and ones that have been traditionally not considered paleo, and give people the uh, sort of a protocol, but also the um, knowledge that they need to self-experiment and really figure out if these foods work for them. And I feel like that's something that's um, very much needed. Um, I think admitting the boundaries of knowledge is really important because if you frame anything, um, but if you frame a diet in terms of a set of rules, then those rules become static. And as more science is performed and our, our understanding of 
the you know benefits versus detriments of different foods increases you know paleo needs to adapt to to reflect that you know new information otherwise it's no different than any of these other fad diets that are just like here's your rules eat this don't eat this and so i think that um really talking about where the boundaries of knowledge are um is going to be really important in terms of of reframing the entire paleo template in a way that allows things to evolve because i um you know i posted uh a couple of weeks to a week and a half ago now um a post about potatoes and sort of like the pros and cons like here's the stuff that's good in potatoes and and here's the stuff that's bad in potatoes and potatoes have sort of been you know they've they they're the great potato debate was like what was that 2012 the great potato debate of 2012 like yeah it's been a while been a, it's been a few years and potatoes i mean whole uh whole nine did their whole post of like yes now potatoes are paleo i think probably about two years ago um and yet you know when i posted that and it 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 really just sort of laid out you know what's good in potatoes what's bad in potatoes and and this is a food that you might want to just figure out if it's working for you or, or not um and like why is this a food that's not great for people with autoimmune disease? Um, and there was a there was a lot of comments. I mean, I, you probably get the same thing that I do on social media, where the comment is on the idea of the post and not actually on the content of the post. Um, but a lot of comments that were very very anti paleo or anti potato, not anti paleo, anti potato um, from you know basically either older references sort of pre potatoes sort of becoming more accepted within the community or very much centered on, you know, things like Lauren Cordain's original work or whatever. Um, but it's sort of like, I was like, Oh, you know, here I have been really thinking of potatoes as being a paleo food that is not particularly an optimal food. Um, and, and there's so much like, that's not, you know, that that's not paleo. Um, and I, I really want to be able to be like, we need to be able to have these conversations about whether or not a food is a health promoting food or not. And we need to be able to have the conversations about who a particular food might be appropriate for. Um, and we can't do that if we set up paleo as this rigid set of rules. And it's the type of like reaction to that scientific content that originates from you know, 15 years of paleo being, you know, expressed as here's all the stuff you don't eat. Um, so I'm really hoping that this book is going to um, sort of bring bring more information to those conversations um, so that it stops being people just shouting uh, sort of unilateral statements and becomes more of a... <laughs> I, unilateral <laughs> opinions as statements. <laughs> yes, that's it. Um, I, I really want to bring back the conversation and make it um, – it's not even a debate. It's a, hey, did you know this? Oh, no, I didn't. Hey, and what about this? Oh, that's really interesting. Like that's what I think paleo is. I think it's um, really a, a framework for informing our food choices that's based on a really thorough and – robust and varied understanding of food all the way from evolutionary biology and paleoanthropology to basic physiology to understanding things like pesticides and soil quality and sustainability and all of those things kind of come together. And so I want to, um, want to, um, remind people <laughs> a little bit, um, that that's that's what this is about. It's about the conversation and about making the better choice as often as possible for the rest of our lives. So, um, so I'm excited. I mean, I, I'm at the I'm at the part of the book where I'm watching it all come together because I wasn't really planning on writing it, so it, it was just kind of all there all of a sudden. And um, and before all of the craziness of editing and design and all of the photography updating I'm going to have to do for the photography, for the photo, for the recipes. And there's, there's, it's going to be a fun fall. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. 
I'm excited to hear you positive about it. I know that it's going to get overwhelming later, but for now, um, that fun phase where you're like, hey, this is going to help people. I can't wait is fun to hear. So, yeah, well, I, um, I, part of it is I have not been particularly enjoying the other book that I've been writing. Um, it's been a, a, just a ton of work and, uh, it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's a bit, it's drudgery really. So, um, (laughs) my husband's like, are you just procrastinating working on your other book? Probably. (laughs) Have a little bit, a little bit, but you know, on the bright side, I'm going to create a really awesome book as a method of procrastination. So it's not like I'm procrastinating by like walking around the neighborhood playing Pokemon Go. I mean, a little bit, (laughs) a little, a little bit, but, um, yeah. So, um, I, I think it's going to be a really, um, amazing addition. And I think it's good to, you know, I think it's going to fill a gap in the current paleo literature that really needs to be filled. And it's going to be a resource that I think, um, people are going to get really excited about. So I will have more, more details in the next month or month and a half as we figure out, is it going to be hardcover? Is it going to be paperback? I mean, we're actually trying to figure out like how big it's going to be so that that's going to determine a lot of those decisions and um, you know, how, I don't know how much is, how much, what the list price is going to be. Like, I don't, there's a lot of things I don't know yet. We've got a, a working title, but I'm purposefully not saying what it is because uh, the sales team hasn't, hasn't approved it yet. So um, <laughs> they have, they have to give their stamp of approval. Um, I hope they do because I'm quite excited about my working title, but um, I'm, I mean, I can, I come up with it. So that's why I'm excited about it. So we'll see if it actually, if it actually sticks, but um, yeah. So I had sort of mentioned like in a text message, like I accidentally wrote another book. And it was like, during the end of fiscal year madness last week. <laughs> and I looked down at my phone and I'm like, what? What does that even mean? <laughs> it means exactly what I said. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the excited part. I'm, I'm sure in like three weeks we'll be podcasting and I'll, you'll be like, how are you doing, Sarah? And I'll be like, I hate writing books, but <laughs> No, it'll be more than three weeks. It'll be like two months. <laughs> I've got about two more good months before I hit the drudgery. Um, but yeah, I so I didn't mean to do such a long update. We really do have a show. I promise we have a show. All right. What's the show? Um. So actually, maybe this is kind of relevant to some of the more philosophical stuff that I was just talking about. We're talking about the 80-20 rule um, and really talking about that 20 and what um, makes up that 20. Um, I've been seeing a lot of questions about um, treats and desserts and cheating and um, how come some people can eat gluten sometimes and feel fine, but I'm wrecked. And, um, and we had questions in the queue that were, um, along those lines as well. So I thought this was kind of an interesting question to me to talk about in terms of, um, what the 80, 20 rule was originally intended as, I think, I mean, I don't know for sure because I wasn't (laughs) the one who created it. Um, but also like the very, very high variability in terms of how different people approach that idea. Um, so you, um, you write about the, like I, Lauren Cordain wrote about the 80-20 rule in the paleo diet, which was the first sort of popular book about the paleo diet. I think it's like 15 years old now, right? Was it written in 2001? It was pretty old when we picked it up, so that seems yeah. right. So I know when I read it, I was all re- I was reading the like the newly updated and revised version that I think came out in 2011. So I don't know if this was the 20 rule was something that was in the original edition. Do you remember? No, I thought that the 80-20 rule came from Mark Sisson. I it wasn't in the um, 
the original book that I remember seeing, although I do know that he talked about it like on Dr. Oz with Nell Stevenson. And that I was kind of surprised because Rob and uh, Cordain always took an approach from my perspective about like gut health and gluten. Like Rob has always said gluten is an absolute no. Um, and then when Cordain was on Dr. Oz, it was like, sure, have, you know, occasional yeah. pizza. And I was like, what? Oh, what? Wait, hey. what? I read about the 80-20 rule. So when I was like, so when I decided I was going to go paleo, the first thing I did was sort of absorb all the information that I could off the internet, got into some of the scientific papers. And then I bought the paleo solution, which was brand new, and the paleo diet and the paleo diet cookbook. So this was like my first three books. And then my next book I bought was the paleo answer. And, um, and I read, I kind of read them at the same time. But one of the things that really, like, I was also then listening to Rob's podcast. So those were, like, all of the influences for me right at the beginning of my my journey. And I really bought into Rob's, like, try it for 30 days, see how you look, feel, and perform. And I was like, I'm going to see your 30 days and raise you. I'm going to do this for 90 days. So I had, when I was going to go paleo, I was going to try it out for three full months. Um, And I was going to, like, do it 100%. So that was my... I'm going to do this 100% for three months. Um, But I read about the 80-20 rule in, I'm pretty sure it was the Paleo Diet, um, the revised edition. Um, And the phrase was something like, um, you can experience 100% of the benefits by doing Paleo 80% of the time. And there was this idea of like, you would start with an 80-20 and as that got easier, you would move to a 90-10. And then maybe you would move to a 100%. So this, the the idea was 80-20 translated to approximately three cheat meals a week. And it was like three meals a week where you eat whatever you want that's not paleo framework. And then your other 80%, your other, oh, I got to do math now, 18 meals, right? Right? Uh, roughly, approximately yeah. 18 meals a week. If you're eating week. three meals a day, yes. Right. I think that was the assumption. Um, so your other 18 meals of the week are like super strict paleo. And it was Lauren Cordain's very like vegetables, no high sugar fruit. Um, he wasn't even really super fond of starchy vegetables um, with a few exceptions in, in that book um, and like lean meats and seafood. And so, um, you know, that super uber strict version of paleo and then three meals that are just like off the reservation and like go go to town on whatever you want and then as that got easier you would drop that down to two meals a week and then as that got easier you would drop it down to one meal a week and it i mean there's a fair number of diet programs over the years that have had the cheat day or the cheat meal or the whatever wrapped into it and i don't even know if that was something that uh, professor cordain actually felt or if it was something that his editor um, decided needed to be in there. I know there's been a lot of stories over the years about how much of that book was uh, Cordain's content and how much of it was the editor dictating what had to be in it. Um, So, or the publisher, I guess. Um, So I, you know, when I first read that, um, I, I think for me, all of the times I'd been really successful with changes, um, you know, health related, you know, diets or exercise programs or whatever, it was always with a very like cold turkey, 100% approach. So that was the way that I adopted paleo. But like right then, there was this philosophy of um, cheap meals are okay. Um, you know, if the quality of your diet overall is really high, then your tolerance to some suboptimal foods in your diet is going to be also really high. Um, now, I discovered that I had very overt gluten and dairy sensitivity as part of my initial couple of weeks on paleo. So for me, I have not intentionally eaten gluten in uh, over five years um, and don't ever intend to eat it on purpose ever except for sometimes i have 
nightmares that I'm doing it. Um, I also have gluten nightmares. And I wake up, well, and sometimes I'm eating them intentionally in my dreams, and then I wake up filled with guilt, like, I would never. (laughs) I have a recurring nightmare that I am on my fourth slice of pizza, and it's always my fourth slice of pizza. And I suddenly realize what I have done. And, like, there's pretty much no ingredient on pizza that I can eat, right? It's, like, nightshades, dairy, and gluten is pretty much the entire deliciousness that is pizza. Let's face it. I mean, it it, it calls to me in my dreams. Um, and then in my dream, there's that moment of I've never eaten this much of these foods before. Like, I've had reactions just from kitchens with bad, uh, you know, with cross-contamination, um, so I've never done this before. Um, and I have different reactions to gluten versus dairy versus nightshades. So I have no idea what's going to happen having just consumed this amount of all three. And I have no idea how bad it's going to be, how long it's going to take to hit or how long it's going to last when it gets here. And like the, the dream is just this realization and then the dread and the anticipation. And then I like wake up in a cold sweat. So, um, it's, I mean, it's like replaced, for me, it's replaced the anxiety dreams of I'm on campus and I'm supposed to be in class right now and I don't have my schedule, which is used to be what my anxiety dreams were. And now my anxiety dreams are I just ate pizza. Um, it's always super delicious pizza, too. I don't, well, I'm glad it's, you know, at least I mean, but half the time in my dreams, like it's something that I'm like, what? Like not even because if I was going to do it. With this is a complete aside, okay? But like in my family, my mom has an anaphylactic reaction to wheat, so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty much on the absolute never list. Like, not only am I celiac, but at any moment I could develop an anaphylactic reaction to wheat, which means that while I accidentally get gluten, my throat could close. So it's not an option for me. But if I was going to do it like my mom says she goes if i was on death row my last meal would be okay so and it would be because she'd exactly. go on she's like i just take care of it myself um so for me it would definitely be like something sweet and not like dry pretzels which is sometimes it's in my dream like i used to eat when i was weight watchering back in the day with zero nutritional value do you know what i mean i'm like why would i eat that in my dream that doesn't even make sense sorry no that was a complete it should be tangent. like the you know the problem oh i'm gonna start talking about gluten foods that i miss um, Let's not do that because that's just gonna like dis oh. like we're just gonna make people crave things that they don't. No, crave. let's not go there. Those I don't even want to go there. Are dry and gross. You don't want those. We're just moving right no, along. I don't want those. No, I want the other things that came to mind that I really need somebody to create an actual good gluten free version of. The foods that I miss are the ones that I can't. I can't figure out a good replica of within the foods that I tolerate at, for an occasional treat. Yeah, so like me too, I can, there's, do there's, there's a couple, there's a couple of foods and pizza is not even on that list for me anymore because there are so many good, like paleo friendly or even a pizza like gives me that fulfillment of like oregano and fennel seed and sausage. Um, like the real life paleo well, recipe and the, um, chicken pesto pizza recipe recipe mm. from the healing kitchen, which was actually a recipe that, um, Elena developed. um, is to me it totally hits all the right pizza buttons like and it's aip so for me it's like you know i feel like i can eat pizza i have not yet had a fluffy croissant (laughs) you know what i mean like there's uh, there's other foods that i have yet to see somebody in the paleo community actually or even like the gluten-free version that's actually so there is a gluten-free bakery in DC called Rise Bakery that makes gluten-free croissants. So the next time you're here, I'll take you. Please, thank you. Done. I will eat all of them. Don't eat all of them. We'll just we'll get you a reasonable amount. Like ten. <laughs> ten ten's totally Moving. reasonable. So um, Sarah, let's in the context of the eighty twenty rule, like how would you eat those? those 10 are you going to eat them all are you going to freeze them and save them like how do you decide when you freeze them and you save them when you can or should have them 
That is an amazing question. Um, so for me personally, like my 20%, I'm, you know, I'm somebody with, depending on how you count them, three or four autoimmune diseases. So I have fibromyalgia, which is sort of a suspected autoimmune. Some people would say it is, some people would say it isn't. So uh, let's just say some chronic illness shenanigans. Um, and I have a much lower tolerance to suboptimal foods than most people. So like I can't do any nightshades, which would technically be considered paleo. I can't do any dairy, which is a lot of people incorporate into their um, paleo diets. Um, I can't do eggs. So that makes things very, very com complicated and sad as well. Um, and so for me, my 20% is typically within the paleo framework typically not always um but it's the sweet or something or the something that i know it doesn't really work for me that well so like i can do nuts but if i do more than a palm full of nuts um it starts to not work as well for me so i do really well if it's i grab one handful and it goes on my salads or it's a you know snack mid-morning but it's you know that is just once throughout the day. Um, so for me, my 20% might be, you know, some dark chocolate covered nuts or um, a coconut milk ice cream or, um, you know, it's something, it's something, it's usually something sweet. Um, and it's usually something that I know doesn't work for me that well. And I really would be much better off if I didn't have it. I mean, for me, that is sort of the definition of, a cheat or a treat or a, you know, to me, those words are sort of interchangeable in this context or, um, you know, just something that's not within the um, normal framework from which I choose my foods. Um, some of it might be like not paleo. So um, like I make my family rice every week. I sometimes have it. I don't really like rice that much. So for me, um, you know, I have it if, if I know I need the starch cause I had a hard workout and there really isn't anything else that I could have instead. Um, but other than that, I usually skip it. And then I do really well with corn. Um, I always feel absolutely fine when I eat corn. Um, so for me that 20% might sometimes, you know, this, um, this time of year, there's really great corn on the cob. Um, so I might buy, you know, two cobs from my local farmer because no one else in my family likes corn on the cob. Um, or I might like the, basically when two, the two Avengers universe movies come out every year, we go to the movies, my husband and I, and I get popcorn. Um, that's even got food dyes on it to make it look yellow. Um, and I feel fine when I eat that. So for me, that's my 20%. It's usually the, um, you know, handful of dark chocolate almonds from Trader Joe's. Um, but every once in a while, it's something outside of the, the paleo template. Um, but for me, it's very much, I don't have a day. Like I don't have a, oh, it's Sunday, I get my cheat meal today. Or, um, you know, it's a, I, it's not even like it's a birthday, therefore I get to. There's, there's not, it's not, typically not planned. It's not a reward for I was good all week, therefore I get this, or I worked out extra hard this morning, therefore I get this. It's not tied to any of those things. It's just, uh, yeah, that would be nice right now. And I have to be really careful that I don't think that three times a day every day. Um, but I would say that um, as long as my sleep is dialed in and I'm not staying up late to work to meet book deadlines, which hopefully I will managed to avoid this time around um that that hey that would be really nice right now occurs to me two or three times a week um right around the 80 20 but it's not a whole meal it's a small addition to something um and my kids are you know similar um you know i would consider something like a rickaroon which is a completely paleo it's like almonds and coconut and coconut sugar and some dairy-free chocolate in it cookie you know that to me is part of their 20 percent. like it's 
um, even though someone else might consider that to be part of their 80. Um, for me, I'm like, no, you know, like that's, that's, we've got some, some sweet stuff happening there. We've got something that's, um, hyper palatable compared to not, I mean, not addictive the way engineered foods are in the grocery store generally, but it still has a higher food reward than the meat and vegetables that we're having for a meal. And generally we try to be careful about those sort of high reward foods because they can start vicious cycles and slippery slopes. So that's, um, I didn't really answer your question at all, but um, that's how, that's how we do that 20% in our house. It's very much, I would say it's more often than not the, um, the more gray area, but still considered within the paleo framework, you know, unrefined whole foods based things. And it's usually the sweet thing. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the points that you made are very similar to how I feel, which is that I consider it anything that's highly palatable or anything that doesn't necessarily agree with me because part of the 80/20 isn't so much for me about like gaining weight or whatever, it's about how is my body going to feel? And for me, more than 10 to 20% outside the framework of what my body likes. Um puts me not feeling my best. And so I think that it's important for people to just be aware of what really works for them. And so that when they're eating something like in your case, nuts or eggs, um, or in my case, um, gluten-free flowers or, you know, like whatever. Um, there are certain no-nos for me entirely as well. Like corn is a complete no-no for me. Um, and so those things I know are in like my absolute no list. And then there's the, okay, I can do this a little bit list. Um, and I think it's also about being really aware of that slippery slope because for us, any, any treats in our house becomes like the snowball effect of, yeah. and then, and then, and then, and then. And so as we move into this fall season of, you know, with Halloween, there's pumpkin treats and lattes and then it's candy and then it's almost Thanksgiving and there's pies everywhere and then it's Christmas cookie exchanges and then it's New Year's. Like it becomes this endless celebration of food. And Sarah and I are the first ones to say that we think it's really important to socialize with food and enjoy the food and the people that you're eating it with. Um, you know, biologically humans are designed to enjoy food. And in European countries, they spend, you know, multiple hours sitting around and enjoying their meal and letting their bodies fully digest and, you know, taking in the company of other people to fully, like, um, nourish their heart, body, soul, all that kind of stuff, right? But I think from the perspective of, you know, when you're eating a highly palatable food and you're on the go or you're sitting at your desk not mindfully eating, um, it can be really easy to become uh, consumed by the food rather than consuming the food. And so, you know, for me, when I was um, not feeling my best emotionally, um, I, one of the reasons that I knew that I needed to get medical intervention was because I had an unhealthy relationship with food. I was eating more of those gray area foods and was more tempted by them. And so if you find yourself going down that path, one of the easiest things to do is just to pull back and say no. You know, find the willpower, talk to somebody, be open, put it as an open Facebook poster if you have a blog and say like, you know, I realized today I don't want to do this anymore and I'm going to make an effort not to. And hopefully you're surrounded by people that love and support you and will encourage you rather than trying to sabotage you. Um, and so for me, I think like, honesty, openness, understanding your body, and then just making smart choices. Like I, I know people want to know like the precise measurement and what's the exact food and what day. Like for me, when I was training a lot, Sundays were my day where I like had the meal that I enjoyed because I was training so hard and I was eating for performance that during the week I was counting macros and I was like doing all this kind of stuff to really increase my performance. And then Sundays was my really big heavy workout day and I knew I was burning a lot of calories and I 
needed carbs to replenish glycogen. And so it was like Sundays after I trained were the meal that I looked forward to all week. Like after I trained Sunday, I'm going to eat blah, 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 blah. And it was, I mean, maybe that doesn't work for everybody. And for me, it was, it kept me from eating like all those things that I would think about during the week because they'd be like, oh, I'll eat that on Sunday. Um, so everybody has to come up with a with a technique. I don't do that anymore um, because I don't train. So it's really just about what works for you. Um, and there are some people that are able to eat gluten that, uh, you know, say that they don't experience a repercussion from it. It's hard for me to fathom that because myself, my family, my friends, there aren't any of us um, who experience that. But if you truly don't have a problem with gluten, like, you know, that can be part of your 20%. I just really feel like people need to be honest about their body's reactions to the food that they're eating and put everything in a classification of like sometimes foods versus anytimes foods. I think it's Sesame Street is like now refers to Cookie Monster as like sometimes foods. And those basic elementary definitions can sometimes help us grownups as well. So that was an excellent segue to our first question. So let me read it. Um, It's from Kellyanne um, and she writes, my first holiday gathering since becoming paleo was an epic fail tonight to say the least. I ate all the non-paleo foods you could think of. I do not suffer from any conditions or diseases. I became paleo simply because I believe it is the optimum diet for health and wellness. With that being said, how much damage did I honestly do? I'm trying not to feel guilty, but let's be real. I'm feeling pretty darn guilty. So first and foremost, I want to talk about guilt with food and food shame because, you know, we've We've podcasted about this a lot. I'm not going to go into big detail, but it concerns me when I hear somebody say, like, I feel guilty. The food and you didn't do anything to each other. So, like, it's okay to just um, say that was a choice that I wouldn't make again. What lessons am I going to learn? And what can I do to minimize the risk? So if you find yourself thinking about feels with food, that's what we would call emotional eating or disordered eating. And I'm not saying, I'm not passing, I'm not making a, you know, statement or judgment on this person. I'm just, and it could be in jest that you're saying it, but a lot of people do have actual food guilt or food shame. And that is not a constructive mindset. Um, And it's not going to propel you to making better choices either. So the faster that you can get on the, you know, Uh, That isn't a decision I want to make again. What can I do to set myself up for success in the future? And what can I learn from this lesson Um, instead of, I feel bad, I'm a bad person, I have guilt, I have shame, Um, they're going to help you succeed. So I'll let you talk about the gut microbiome um, and and all that kind of stuff. Well, so... Here's what we know about gluten um, and some some of the same sort of family of uh, what's often called toxic lectins, um, other proteins like casein from dairy or wheat germaglutinin um, or phytohemagglutinin from legumes. Um, they have ways of getting inside the body. Um, which can stress the cells that line the gut. um, And in some cases, it can kill the cells that line the gut. And for pretty much all of these, there's definitely a genetic factor. So there's certain, um, certain situations, genetic situations, where these molecules seem to get into the body intact more easily. So they're very difficult for our bodies to digest. Um, They're really not compatible with our digestive enzymes, and um, they can get across the gut barrier, sometimes damaging the gut barrier as they cross, and they tend to be immune stimulators. Um, So there's a part of this that is, um, you know, how easily stimulated is your immune system? How rigorous is your gut health? Um, A healthy gut microbiome makes a huge difference to how much gluten gets inside the body. A healthy uh, gut barrier 
makes a huge difference how much gluten gets inside the body. Um, being under a lot of stress, not getting enough sleep, being nutrient deprived or having a genetic predisposition to an overactive immune system all mean the immune system is going to react in a more exaggerated way to these proteins getting inside the body. So I think that, you know, it, these foods are never, you know, especially when you're talking about gluten containing foods, um, wheat based foods, they're never health promoting foods. Um, you know, the healthiest wheat based product is still pretty nutritionally, um, empty. It's got a few minerals, um, and not a whole lot else going for it. And if you think about anything else you're going to put on your plate, vegetables or a bigger portion of um, you know, meat or seafood, you're going to make a better choice from a nutritional perspective. You're going to get more nutrients per calorie. Um, and so that being said, I think there's absolutely variation in terms of how our bodies are responding to these uh, proteins outside of things like celiac disease and um, gluten intolerance where our bodies are making antibodies against that. There clearly is non-celiac wheat or gluten intolerance. That I mean, the, there are certainly some researchers who don't believe that's a thing, but the the larger proportion of them do, and there's some good um, some good scientific studies. Um, there's some scientific studies that show that oh, we, we fed these people gluten blinded and they didn't really know if they had anything, but there's other scientific studies that show, no, look, we've had these people gluten blinded and they had all these symptoms. Um, and, um, and so I think that, you know, there's a lot of people within the paleo community who'll go, well, gluten is toxic no matter who you are. Um, and if you're not as sensitive, it'll just take longer to catch up with you. I don't think I'm quite as, defeatist or black and white about it. I think it's highly likely when you look at the level of genetic adaptation that's happened over the last 10 to 15,000 years, lactase persistence being uh, an excellent example, I think it's highly likely that there is a subset of people who are absolutely fine with gluten. Does that make it a health-promoting food? No. But does that make it a food that destroys you? No. And I think that's a really important distinction. Um, there's been some researchers who have estimated that something like 40% of us um, are gluten sensitive. Um, so we have some type of reaction to gluten, which would then imply that 60% of us don't. And I, you know, those numbers are, are really at the, um, you know, they're based on things like how many of us have um, HLA DQ2 or DQ8 phenotypes, right? Like it's, uh, genotypes. So it's it's sort of based on the assumption that if you have some of these genes that will make you gluten sensitive, um, that's a bit of an assumption still. Um, but I do, I, I really do think that um, there are people who can absolutely consume gluten in their 20% and be fine. Um, and Kellyanne, I hope you're one of them. Um, and um, And if that's you, I'm like super jealous. I would totally love for gluten to be part of my 20%. Um, does that mean that paleo is not an important thing to do? Like, no. Paleo is still a diet that hones in on the most nutrient-dense anti-inflammatory foods. Um, does that mean that you should feel guilty about your 20% being pizza? No. Absolutely not. Um just like I'm not going to feel guilty about my 20% being dark chocolate coated almonds um, or popcorn at the movie theater that Stacy, you really can't have. Like I I'm going to enjoy that as a thing that I, I get to do and I'm going to appreciate um, I'm going to appreciate what I, what I can do and not worry about the fact that I, you know, I, I can't until I visit DC have a croissant. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I think that, I think that it's um, oversimplistic to state that gluten is toxic for everybody. It clearly is for some people. Um, and I think it's over um, – I think it's a very – it's sort of a doomsdayer thing to be like, well, it just hasn't caught up with you yet, right? Um, like I, I think that that's also just negative and uh, jerk, jerky. It's just not, not a nice thing to say. So. Um, 
so yeah, I like I totally agree with Stacy. Let go of the guilt. Um, you know, I think the the bigger thing for anybody out there who finds themselves derailing, whether you feel fine after derailing or whether you make yourself terribly ill because both of those extremes and everything in between happen, you know, the more important thing I think is um letting go and moving on and getting back on track and um being really aware of our bodies and how they do when we derail, how they um how often really we can get away with it and not fool ourselves because we want that food to work for us. So, um, you know, that's something that happens with people who do the audio protocol a lot. I would really like for corn to work for me. I know. I would really love for dairy to work for me. I mean, like not even better. I think we both would love for tomatoes to work for us. Oh, umami tomatoes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just, um, I mean, I, I would really like the ability for my 20% to be anything that I wanted at that moment. Um, of course, with my history of food addiction and binge eating disorder, that's probably a bad situation for me. But um, that's an aside. Um, no, I think that, you know, the the number one thing is the self-experimentation and the self-awareness aspect of this. So... Um, you know, I've said it before in this podcast and many other interviews that so much of this journey is about understanding what our bodies need to thrive and understanding what our bodies tolerate and living in that space in between. And um, and so the first time that we derail, the first few times we cheat, the first few times we go off the you know paleo framework, those are those learning experiences where we're really understanding is my body going to handle this or is it not? And, um, and even when those experiences don't go well, they're still really important learning experiences for us moving forward. And I think the most important thing that we can do is take it as that, as an experience that helps inform our future choices and then, um, and then get back on track. I have nothing else to add. I, think we've covered as much as we can without actually giving anyone any specific answers. <laughs> right. Um, well, I think I think the reason why we can't give really specific answers is because this is so individual. Oh, for sure. Um, and I think that that is that's the take home, right? That um, what that 20 percent is and whether it's 20 percent or 5 percent is um, really up to each one of us to tinker and figure out what works best for us. Um, and so, you know, it's it's something that for us, having been um, experimenting with the paleo diet and the, the various shades of paleo and all of the things for the many, many years that we have been, um, you know, we know ourselves really, really well. Um, it's harder for somebody just coming in, but it's part of the journey. Agreed. Awesome. Well, thank you again, everyone, for coming back yet again, week after week to the Paleo View. We enjoy spending this time with you, even though we don't know who you are. And <laughs> it's true. Drop us a note in social media or submit a question with a comment to let us know who you are and what you're about because we like you and we like hearing these things and while you're at it feel free to leave us a review on itunes if you haven't done that yet to let other people know how much feel free to demand more lizard maybe maybe i'm gonna have to stop hand talking though (laughs) i mean that particular podcast that particular podcast, I was talking a lot because you were asking me a lot of questions. And it was like, have you ever seen the gif of the guy with three computers in front of him? And he's just like banging on the different computers, like back and forth. <laughs> they send me that gif at work. They tell me that's what I look like. <laughs> and I'm pretty uh, sure. I'm going, to, I'm going to look for it now. I will text it to you. Hard. I will totally yeah. text it to you. And so that's also what I look like when I'm talking. <laughs> so I'm just like, 
like shaking my arms in the air. And the poor lizard's like, I'm going to fall off of you. I'm tiny. Like, it's a big fall. Let's not and do I this. And I only have all of my toes on one leg. Exactly. I only have one good leg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Tris. Um, Well, thanks very much um, again for a wonderful, enjoyable podcast Really, it's just us just having the exact same conversations we'd be having on the phone if we weren't recording a podcast. Um, but thanks, Stacy, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. So, sorry, Matt, for the other point. So, um, still edited point, apparently, because I don't know what I'm going to say. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.